Hi everyone, I'm Nosh from TNA and today I will be having a conversation with Peace who is the co-founder of Period Link and she will be telling us more about her Pan-African identity and we'll just be having conversations about what her Pan-African identity looks like in a modern day. So I hope you all enjoy and I hope that you take away something from this conversation. I'm Cheese. Um, I'm originally from Togo. That's where I was born. And I lived there until I was 13. And then I moved to the UK. And I've been in the UK for a few years now. Um, I'm a student. So I'm in my second year at uni. And yeah. Interesting, interesting. That's, that's, that's sick. I can't lie. That's, that's very interesting. Um, <laughs> all right. So... Question one, what does Pan-Africanism mean to you and why do you feel it's important? Mm, yeah, so I think for me, Pan-Africanism means Africans coming together and collaborating among each other um, as one body and not viewing ourselves through sort of these super superficial borders that were created by European colonizers because ultimately they are superficial. Um, when they were creating those borders, they didn't take into account our own um, individual tribes or cultures. So for example, I'm from Togo and Togo is divided, was divided in two actually, in one part. So first we had Ghana and then we had Togo, but then, um, the French wanted to kick the Germans. So Germans were the first colonizers of Togo and the French wanted to kick the Germans out. So they asked the help of the English. And in return, if the English helped them kick the Germans out, they would take part of Togo, divide it again and give it to the English, i.e. add it to Ghana. And so that is essentially what happened. That is what it did. And so it's interesting because now when you go to Ghana, you go to the east of Ghana, there are people who now have to refer to themselves as Ghanaians, even though a couple of years ago, they were Togolese. And then a couple of years before that, Togo didn't even exist. And so um, these borders are superficial. And so Pan-Africanism, for me, is coming together and viewing ourselves as one. I also think that it's a strategy towards true liberation. So... There are many countries, Francophone countries mainly, who are still being ruled by dictators. Um, I can say Togo, where the same family has been in power since 1967. Chad, where Idris Deby, their president, has been ruling since, since 1990. Or Cameroon, where Paul Bia has been president since 1982. And these countries are all meant to be democracies, but clearly they're not, they're dictatorships. And so the individual um, citizens of each country are trying to fight for freedom, for democracy. And I feel like Pan-Africanism um, is a way for us to come together because we are essentially suffering from the same illness, if you will. So I think coming together would be a good strategy for us to really um, overcome our oppressors um, so yeah, I'd say that is how I view Pan-Africanism. And I also think that like, even if all these problems 
went away and you know we were suddenly like prospering and doing well as individual countries I would still advocate for Pan-Africanism because there is strength in unity ultimately when we look at the West, for example, the West hasn't had the impact that it has had over the world as individual countries. Um, they ultimately operated as a group. Like the United States of America, it wouldn't be the United States of America if it wasn't united. And so I think unity, there is always strength in unity. I definitely agree with um, what you said. And in regards to what you said towards the beginning, like when you started talking about Wow, feeling myself getting emotional but when you started talking about what happened with Togo and Ghana like I really felt that because I'm from both countries um oh wow yeah so like obviously like even my dissertation that I'm gonna start um that I'm gonna do next year is literally about the effects of colonial borders on on specifically the Ewa tribe because that's the tribe I'm from um mm. but yeah it's basically about how the borders affected Togo um yeah. and Ghana and like the impact that it's had to this day so mm-hmm. like, that's really important to me and I, I talk about it a lot because a lot of people are not aware like of course these these things are similar across the continent like I know similar things have happened in Nigeria um I believe Cameroon like it's mm. it's very common it's, it's a pattern and mm. like you said before um you mentioned you mentioned how when they were drawing these borders they had no regard for our individual eth- um ethnic groups and tribes and mm-hmm. things like that and that that's one of the things that caused a huge problem with mm. how they split Ghana and Togo specifically in mm. in this instance because they literally split the Ewa tribe in half and mm-hmm. you know like people from Togo or people from Ghana from the Volta region are labeled as second class citizens you know mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot mm-hmm. it's, essentially it's ethnic cleansing it's it's, it's yes. horrible it's yeah it's disgusting and like these things are deeply deeply traumatic mm-hmm. I think as humans our identity is one of the biggest um components of who we are like the way we view ourselves and how we define ourselves and so to have your identity played with like that one day you're Togolese the second day you're Ghanaian like that's so traumatic exactly it's 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 definitely not normal like I find that as I'm getting older and as I've learned more about you know the history I'm kind of like um and just even my experiences of how I've been treated by Ghanaians or in Ghana or here in the diaspora, I find mm. that it's, I've been questioning my identity as a Ghanaian because mm. like my whole life it's been like, okay, like I'm from Ghana, but I know like, even though I'm from Ghana, I'm from the Volta region and I'm from this particular tribe. But as I've gotten older, I realized like, well, actually you're also Togolese as well. Um, mm. You know, your some of your grandparents, traveled to Ghana and Mm. settled there but you are Togolese as well and then it's like but if I'm Ghanaian as well why am I being treated like this by Mm. my own people and Mm. I find myself in a conundrum where I'm like I don't really like identifying as Ghanaian because it's like the way people are treated isn't really not fair and 
there is a huge issue of tribalism within Ghana itself and there's a lot of violence that people um are subjected to and mm-hmm. it really c- conflicts me when people you know there's this stereotype like there's just this thing going around of Ghanaian people are good vibes Ghanaian people are so peaceful such a peaceful country everyone's so loving and welcoming and it's like okay but do you know what happened to people's ancestors you know what's still happening to people's families to this day like Mm -hmm. in the last elections it was not pretty Mm -hmm. like and this is a pattern so I just think people need to open their eyes to the truth and and that's why I think it was really important for me to personally decide to start doing my dissertation on this particular subject because Mm. then it opens doors for me to learn more in depth speak to people that are going through it um and Mm. have been through it because ultimately if 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 I'm being honest my my dad was literally born just after um Ghana gained independence so if we use that logic his parents were born when Ghana wasn't even a concept Togo never existed yeah Ghana would have been the gold coast then exactly and it's like how do you tell people who existed before these countries even had these names that they have now and these like how do you tell these people that oh actually you're not Ghanaian or you don't belong to this and you don't they don't even know what this concept is and and recently I've been hearing people around me say Ghana is a failed colonial um, project and it's starting to ring true for me personally like I I think Pan-Africanism is definitely important and I feel like with that unity and loving each other and working together it Mm. will definitely um what's the word I feel like it will help to get us past these hurdles I feel like there's a lot of ignorance and there's a lot of harmless quote-unquote harmless jokes that people make about Mm. different groups and don't realize the impact that it has um, and I think this definitely needs to stop if we are to move forward, um, yeah. because they do, they do have an impact. They they do. Like mm-hmm. you might think it's funny, but people are literally dying. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just not funny. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I definitely I think, 100% agree with you. Yeah, and I also think this is where Pan Africanism comes in. Right, it's almost a healing procedure for mm-hmm. someone who has experienced that trauma of being Togolese and suddenly being Ghanaian and like, who are you really? Mm -hmm. I think Pan-Africanism offers an answer in the sense that actually you are African, you you belong to the motherland, you don't have to, it's hard, it's not easy, but you don't always have to define yourself through the definitions of these superficial borders. Exactly, exactly. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, wow, I literally feel like I can talk to you about this forever. I feel like <laughs> like this is very personal for both of us because we of definitely, course. this is our identity. Um, mm-hmm. But, you mm-hmm. know, just for the sake of time, I'm just going to move on to the um, second question. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like two parts to the question, but has your idea of Pan-Africanism changed over time? And what does Pan-Africanism look like to you in the future? Yeah, yeah. So I would say that there was a time where, um, when I started to explore Gaveism a lot more, 
And I was of the opinion that Africans in the diaspora should try as much as possible to return to the homeland. Mm-hmm. And I still think that, that, is, that there is a lot of truth there. It's still true. However, I also realized that a lot of Africans have shed their blood you know, and tears in building things in the West. And mm-hmm. so it wouldn't be fair to ask them to give up all of that because they do have um a, they have created a right a rightful place for themselves here and it hasn't been easy yeah. um and so I think it wouldn't be fair to ask them to all go back to their homeland um and so I think yeah that is one way in which my my idea of pan-Africanism has changed in the way that I feel like someone not returning to the homeland doesn't sort of take away from the legitimacy of their pan-Africanism um and I also, I think I also had a, a view, which I now think was a bit utopic of like the United States of Africa or something like that. Basically mm-hmm. us coming together under one system of governance. Um, but over time I've learned that even though we are all one Africa, we have so many distinct, extremely distinct, different cultures and way of life. And so mm-hmm. forcing all of that to come under one system of governance would be almost like the same thing the colonizers did when they forced different tribes to come together under one country. And and so now I think cooperation, you know, is the answer, working together and collaborating and cooperating rather than um, forcing all of us into one system. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of the future, I think, we are yet to reach a place where Pan-Africanism has fully taken shape. So I think it's not obvious to be able to tell what it's going to look like in the future. And so I would say that my hope is to see the ideology being shared by more Africans. And so as it keeps growing, um, hopefully it will mold itself around the current realities of Africans Mm -hmm. so that more people can find it easier to adopt. So like, for example, I think Nigeria has Nigeria, at least in the West, um, in the diaspora, is more than just a country, is a brand. And a lot of Mm -hmm. Nigerians are extremely proud Mm -hmm. of that brand. And so for them, Pan-Africanism will need to look like something that wouldn't take away from that pride that they have in Nigeria. Um, And that is very, like, very much possible. We I can think of people like Felakuti, who was, you know, proudly Nigerian, but also a very loud advocate for pan-Africanism. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think in my, my hope in the future would be to see that ideology just being more shared by, um, being shared by more Africans. And so as, as it keeps being adopted by um, more of us, then you'll start, you know, like looking differently and yeah. Hmm. I, I actually really like that answer because I don't know, I just, with having conversations with other people about pan-africanism i don't think i've come across anyone that said like you know like it's gonna look so so different in the future like we haven't uncovered you know certain layers of it Mm -hmm. that's an interesting that's a really unique perspective um Mm -hmm. and like when like your answer was just so different to like when i initially thought about the question like it was was quite quite distinct because in my head I was like I was like because you know 
when we think of pan-Africanism, we think of, of course, Marcus Garvey. We think of like yeah. a lot of American-based or like West Indian people. I mean, just think of, I guess we think of the older generation. We think of mm. um, a lot of freedom fighters from way back when. Um, mm. But we don't think about it in, in relation to the modern world. Like mm. we, we see it as something that was just from back in the olden days, but it's like, so many of us are pan-african and don't even realize it um mm. that's that's one thing like a lot of us like yeah like we want unity we want peace we want great things mm. we want we want us all to work together we want us to kind of dismantle colonialism and yeah like we don't even realize like you're like you're pan-african or you believe in this ideology or this way of life um mm. you know and i just think we i think with I guess with more conversations and hopefully with this project like that can kind of revive it for the youth because I feel like there's a bit of a disconnect in regards to like the the literature in terms of like young people having access to or reading you know pan-african literature and you know being aware of all these different amazing people that paved the way and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and you know hopefully like with um with tribe named Athari and with other amazing organizations like Africans in the diaspora um mm-hmm. we can just come together and continue to push that train of thought and of course like adapt it to our generation if needs be mm-hmm. you know and just make it something that's welcoming and inclusive to um you know all African people and African heritage communities um you know like it's not just exclusive to Africans on the continent we're talking about Afro-Latin people we're talking about Afro-Brazilians we're talking about um African-Americans like literally all you know African heritage communities to have to make it accessible to everyone um but yeah that, that that was a that was a great answer um I think one thing that you know you mentioned just now um mm -hmm. is like adaptability and I think like with all the groups the different groups that you have named if all of these groups are going to like really adopt the ideology then it does need to be adaptable Mm -hmm. so I definitely definitely agree with that yeah I think I think being able to adapt to the times that you live in is very important and that helps to um that helps to preserve I guess to an extent preserve but also extend the life the um the lifespan of something because um you know like when I don't know like you you just always have to be open to um change tweaking things I want to say changing per se but just tweaking things to to fit the times and places that you're in otherwise the people that you're trying to um educate or speak to or help understand this they they won't really be that receptive to it because it doesn't feel relatable or doesn't ring true for them so you know like they say you have to speak the people's language um but yeah uh what impact does pan-africanism have on your daily life Mm -hmm. yeah so i think like economic emancipation is very important when we're discussing African autonomy. So for me, like supporting African businesses is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
so like there are brands like I don't know Savi and Asso who um it's a Nigerian brand they make their products in Nigeria but then they sell them here in the UK or um other parts of the world and I think that is really important because usually Africa is known as an importer we import stuff we consume and we don't produce mm-hmm. and so supporting brands that produce in Africa and export to the rest of the world I think that is really important um and also another way that pan-africanism I can see it in my daily life is through my engagement with African literature so like there's this um book called the tales of Amadou Kumba by Birago Diop and Birago Diop is a Senegalese poet who was renowned for writing African folk tales and um yeah I was given I must have been giving that book when I was young and absolutely loved it even now I'm older but I still read it and I recommend it for parents to get for their kids um it's lovely so yeah I think engaging with African literature is in our daily life is really important because for a long time our stories have been told for us Mm -hmm. and so having this outlet through which our own people are telling our own stories is is invaluable and we should support it we should engage with it as much as possible yeah 100 percent. i definitely agree with that it's it's so important um i feel like we should definitely encourage our stories to be told by our own people and i think um so quite recently i did um at uni i wrote an essay about um decolonization and I guess kind of just was looking at the way in which history is told or way the way information is is processed and it's um it's kind of unrelated a little bit but um it was about the Cuban Missile Crisis um and it was basically about how that story was told from the view of America as opposed to Cuba even though mm. it's literally called the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, mm. And it was like, I found out during, you know, doing research for this essay that the Cubans don't even call it the Cuban Missile Crisis. They call it the October Crisis. So that's already one thing that yeah. is like, wow. You know, when, when you tell your, your story from a different perspective, you name it different things. And, mm. and another thing that I found really interesting through um, reading more about decolonization is the fact that they don't really take in oral history as much as they they do and that's how a lot of um indigenous cultures pass down mm. their history it's always through oral history and yeah. it's almost like people don't value it as much and I think that that's just because you know of perception and it's, it's completely wrong and mm. like even me personally I kind of um what's the word I'm I hope to eventually go back to like the villages and stuff like where I'm from mm-hmm. um in both Ghana and Togo and just sit with the elders because mm-hmm. one thing I realized I was having a conversation with my mom and um there was just it was just something so small it was something like like basically my my grandfather like he was the the clan that um, my mom's side of the family are from they are like they're called natural physiotherapists like every clan has a speciality and that like they are natural physiotherapists and you know they're good with nature and stuff like that so 
um, I remember as a kid, my granddad, like, if he had a snake bite, like, he knows what plant to go to for, like, the anti-venom type of thing or to treat it. If you have mm. this, he knows what, what plant does this and what does it, all that kind of stuff. And I asked my mum, like, do you, if we were to go to the village now, if we were to go inside, like, you know, in greenery, would you know... Um, would you know what this and this and this does and she's like no unfortunately um Mm. and I was like why why is this and she was like you know um around that time kids weren't really interested in listening to such vital information that their parents Mm. and grandparents had it was around a time where people wanted to start like people had started going to school um more girls started going to school and stuff like that so Mm. people were more concerned on you know um education but it's like that is also education you know um that that's just as valuable as any other kind of information or any Mm -hmm. kind of education I feel like education is branded as one specific thing and it's a shame Mm -hmm. that you know we see it as as one thing not as the broad thing that it is and so like just having conversations with my parents more I realized like Mm. I want to go back and talk to the elders because like even with history like my grandfather was very much so alive when Ghana and Togo gained independence like Mm. he was a very old man um so you know like these people were born in the early um, 1900s um they were very very much so alive around the time that all these things were happening and it's like they witnessed everything and they would have witnessed it from a unique perspective you know mm-hmm. like the fight for independence surely was not enjoyable for somebody yeah. that was from Togo and Ghana or yeah. you know or, you know from Togo it was not it was not as celebrated as it would be for everyone else and I feel like those marginalized voices are so important and mm-hmm. those perspectives are so 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 crucial because yeah. it just helps give like a fuller um perspective so um yeah yeah, like when I next go back um to the continent I really want to go and just like talk to any elderly people because these people are literally dying and nobody cares to listen to any of the folk stories or the myths and the legends and history you know and you know like just going back to something you mentioned about you know like your grandfather knowing sort of the what plant could cure like a, a snake bite and things like that these are important scientific like knowledge that exactly. you know we're not sort of we're not noting down and then one day someone in the lab would do some research and he say he invented this yes. or that cure and it's like we've <laughs> we have had this knowledge for a long time you know exactly exactly that's that that's actually such a good point um yeah and that's the problem like when when these people die unfortunately they take all of their knowledge with them and Mm -hmm. if you're not able to extract as much as you can and preserve as much history like someone else will come and tell you something about your own people and you'll believe it you know um because there's loads of people that believe things like just to make it more personal um Mm -hmm. for me like I'm aware and there's a lot of negative stereotypes about our people um mm-hmm. and there's loads of our people that 
will go and live in other cities that will move away from like the Volta region, which is, you know, for the most part where we reside in Ghana, they will mm-hmm. move away from these areas. Or there's some Ewa people that bring up their kids in, in different areas. And because of how um, the nation as a whole um, treats um, Ewa people because of stereotypes, um, mm. they find that there's a lot of self-hate and there's a lot of right. things that they believe about oh, their own people um, hearing it from other people and not from the mouth of their own, you know, and that kind of conditioning is scary. So um, this is so yeah. heartbreaking because mm-hmm. as someone who has lived in Togo, I know the way the Ewe people because the capital of the of the country is in the south, and that is where mm-hmm. the majority of the Ewe people are. And mm-hmm. so the Ewe people in Togo are far, very, very far from being marginalized. Like so, hearing that just next door. Mm-hmm. that you know a group of our people are feeling are having this completely different experience of their identity as Ewe is 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 so heartbreaking it's so mm-hmm. heartbreaking mm-hmm. no 100% it really is is but the, and that's what's so crazy about it because it's like you know these people just came on the continent and they're like oh okay I'm gonna yeah we're gonna break this this way and we're gonna mm-hmm. cut this this way so that we have the sea and you guys can have you know we want the coast and you guys can have this part and yeah. like we're gonna cut it this way and da, 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 and like we literally don't care that we're splitting up families and cultures and, and different ethnic mm-hmm. groups like we we don't care um mm-hmm. that's your business we're doing what benefits us at the end of the day um and doing that the, I'm pretty sure so many of them had no idea of the long-term damage that they were doing on that continent Mm -hmm. and that's like that's the part that really really sucks because it's Mm -hmm. like you guys don't know that you're literally the reason for so many wars so many civil wars so so many deaths of people you know like we can even talk about Rwanda like that Mm -hmm. that was horrific you know and similar things have, have you know repeated itself across the continent um places like sudan exactly even with the life and war in nigeria exactly exactly and it's it's really upsetting that there's so many examples of this particular issue just you know duplicating itself and um mirroring itself across the continent like this should not be the case um but unfortunately we find ourselves in in this situation and like you said, we kind of just need to come to a place where we can heal from it because that's so crucial. Like within, like say for example, within TNA, like we are, we are an anti-colonial pan-African group and we focus a lot on healing. That's very important to us because mm-hmm. we find that um, across the board, um, when it comes to black people, like, you know worldwide we always have to deal with so many things and for example like last summer we had to deal with last summer and literally the global uproar about Mm -hmm. you know black lives um and throughout the whole summer and then September comes we're back in school we're back at work you know people were even working during that time and it's like when do we get to breathe when do we get to heal when do we get to love on each other and mm. hug each other and embrace each other and say, listen, um, brother, sister, sibling, like, let's let's come together. Let's 
let's take our time to unpack everything let's take our time to heal and and just show love to each other and be kind to each other we we rarely ever get a chance to do that and that needs to be encouraged more often because it's so crucial to pan-africanism and just global african heritage unity like it's it's a must it's a must people overlook the healing aspects so much and i really want you know who knows like maybe you'll write a book um maybe someone else will write a book who knows maybe i'll write a book about healing and, and black identity because there needs to be more literature um about that because it's very yeah. important you know people can write for 10 years about black people's plight and how we've suffered okay that's you know whatever but how are we going to heal how are we going to move forward um you know how are we going to take I love care of talking about healing because and like and you know the fact that this process of healing is so um intertwined with like telling our own stories and like mm-hmm. our own literature and things like that i think as black people or like just as yeah as a black people both in africa or in the diaspora anywhere we need to become more um we need to start engaging more with like literature and philosophy and all this stuff because mm-hmm. we have a lot of emotional hurt that we haven't healed from yep. and so unfortunately what I see happening a lot is that a lot of high achieving or brilliant uh, black students are just sourced to do capitalist work exactly. um, over and over and over and that is all well and good you get the money and everything but when are our brilliant thinkers going to do the literature going to do the the psychology going to do the philosophy and you know have us really think about our own issues and our own history and yeah so I really do hope that we have more um, young black students turning towards um, the arts or just this this field of study um, and not just being like outsourced to do capitalist work no I definitely agree with that um our labor has definitely been exploited since like we can literally trace it back to so far mm. um and we're more than that we're more than our labor you know of course of course we, and it is interesting yeah. because like back then we didn't have a, a choice in it but mm. now because we have the facade of choice we don't think about it as you know our labor being exploited anymore and it's like well it mm. is because if someone is telling you if you do this type of work then I'm going to pay you enough for you to live well. But if you don't, then I won't. You're still, you know, you don't really have a choice. You're still being, your labor is still being exploited. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I understand that. I, you know, it's it's a matter of perspective for a lot of people, you know. Mm. It's, it's definitely a matter of perspective um, in regards to this particular situation. How would you say, like, how does Pan-Africanism link with other liberation movements? For example, anti-racist, climate, climate justice, anti-capitalist, Black feminist, internationalism? Yeah, um, I think the sort of star quality for, you know, lack of better phrase of Pan-Africanism is that it promotes unity. And I think with unity you can never go wrong when you come together share different viewpoints different perspective on how to address a problem you mm-hmm. always have a higher chance at successfully overcoming 
that problem than if you were alone. So I think, you know, Pan-Africanism brings unity when we're addressing these different problems. And um, I also think when it comes to like racism faced by black people in the West, um, we have to admit that a lot of Africans, you know, don't move to the UK because they love the queen and mm. people are risking their lives crossing yeah. with their families because, you know, they want to go to Italy and eat pizza. Like people <laughs> really are playing for their lives. They don't feel like they have um, an option and making it in life mm-hmm. in the countries where they are from, in the homeland. And so... Pan-Africanism, well, I think one of the goals of Pan-Africanism is to see Africa flourish and be a place where Africans will prosper. And so I feel like if that goal is, is achieved, then I can definitely see one, countries and systems with racist tendencies start to treat us with more respect because we no longer need them. And also, I think more individuals will start removing themselves from any environment or country where they're not treated with dignity. So yeah, I think Pan-Africanism encourages us to come together, build our own. And I think once we build our own, then we'll become less dependent on others and ultimately um, earn their respect, whether they like us or not. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that is one of the ways I think Pan-Africanism helps to um, solve these some of these issues or address them at least. What you said about unity, across the board is very important and yeah like it it really does it really does connect at the end of the day and inspire and push and motivate other movements as well and a lot of them are really intertwined and interlinked and I think that's a really great thing because you know across the world there is a lot of injustice and a lot of oppression and suffering and yeah like Mm -hmm. you said like once we are able to free ourselves in the sense of not really care too much about what that you know that particular side of the world views us as or you know Mm. um what they want us to do and their vision for us you know and we start valuing our vision for our own our own communities and groups I think that will be a huge revelation um I kind of find that I kind of find that a lot of um, presidents within, or dictators um, within the continent um, and throughout the African heritage communities, they're kind of like colonizer puppets, if that makes sense. Um, of course. You know, upholding the, like upholding the racial and classist mm. systems, like, mm. um, for example like just a little example in Ghana like one thing that's going on recently is there's a whole situation where there's a boy who is you know of the Rastafari religion and he is being denied access to public school because he has to cut his hair and he's basing his argument of having keeping his hair on his religion which is Rastafari and um it's like Ghanaians are saying you're not allowed to express your religious views, but mm. in the same breath of air, I recall when I went to school in Ghana, 
every mm-hmm. Wednesday at school, we literally had to do worship. And when I say worship, I'm talking about Christian church worship, like mm-hmm. every single Wednesday at school. Mm-hmm. So why mm-hmm. is it that all of a sudden, because it's not Christianity, um, mm-hmm. these people's religious views are being dis- dis- you know, disregarded? Um, and another example is going to school in Ghana I remember and this is still an issue which I just find is ridiculous um I saw this recently in the media as well um and it ties back to the 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 thing about um the boy and and school that I was just talking about um I definitely recall being in school where like for the most part in schools in Ghana as a girl you have to cut your hair off I'm not really sure why um Mm. why that is but it was just a thing of everyone cuts their hair but I remember there was a white girl that came to our school. She was allowed to keep her hair. Mm. Um, and I just thought, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, even I, I like, I, I saw that um, when we were, um, as part well of like the work of Period Link, we went to a few schools in Ghana. And I, mm. I remember there was this one school where, of course, all the girls, it was a girls' school actually, all the girls had their hair cut. And except this girl who, she wasn't white, but she must have been um, mixed or, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that happened. And she was allowed to keep her hair long and, you know, tied at the back, but all the other mm-hmm. black girls had to have their hair cut. So, I, yeah, no, I've definitely seen what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's just so strange because I even, like, with the whole situation that's going on right now um, with this particular boy and that whole argument, like, these the people that are in power like I I I believe one of the men in power said something like oh um you know when if white people were to cut their hair like they wouldn't look beautiful Mm. like what does that even mean like the fact that you opened your mouth and you said that is just very (laughs) it's, it's so ridiculous and it's like you're literally still holding on to I think so many of us suffer from literally looking at anything of white origin or anything that white people do is like so amazing and monumental and you want to preserve them and you view them as above yourself and that's really really that's really really sad for our self-identity and for our self-confidence mm-hmm. and for what the, the the younger people are seeing and what the youth are going to believe of themselves and we need to actually break from this cycle and I think one way to do that is literally with with the hair thing like if if everyone's cutting if everyone has to cut their hair everybody needs to cut their hair it doesn't Mm. matter whether um you are white whether you're mixed race whether you're you're black and your parents just have a lot of money like it doesn't matter if everyone's cutting their hair everyone should cut their hair because really and truly what is the purpose of telling everyone to cut their hair I still don't understand it there's no reasonable reason to say oh everyone should cut their hair doesn't make Mm -hmm. any sense I never understood it when I was in school and I still don't understand it like is it misogyny I don't know what it is I don't know what purpose it serves but we need to literally evolve as people you know across our communities we need to evolve and we need to we need to grow and we need to change and we can't it's just really sad and depressing to see that some of our leaders are, you know, just being used as colonial mm. master puppets. And, you know, like we have so many amazing people like Patrice Lumumba, 
for example, Thomas Sankara, mm-hmm. um, like all these amazing leaders across the continent. Of course, they weren't perfect, but they did mm-hmm. great things for their people. And it's like we had all these, all these people, and what happened to them? They were assassinated. Yeah. And yeah. that just shows you, like, if that doesn't tell you anything about how you know the West views us and how they are threatened by us potentially doing good for ourselves and realizing our worth and understanding who we are as people like I don't know what else can tell you it literally doesn't get more obvious than that but yeah I'm just I think just to move on quickly because I feel like we're (laughs) we're just (laughs) we're really diving deep into (laughs) these conversations and it's amazing you know and I hope that you know, once this project is all put together, it opens up a huge conversation, um, mm-hmm. you know, across African heritage communities and across the continent, because that's very, very important. So how does your Pan-African identity reflect itself in your art forms or in your daily life? And what about in your work? Hmm. Yeah, so I think engaging with African art form is very important. Um, so like even through music, um, listening to African music, um, all my friends know like I love Saharan music, or even going back to like Felakuti's music. So for me, um, that is one of the ways African Pan African my Pan African identity reflects itself um, in my daily life. I think African movies as well. So I have a YouTube channel, and um, I recently posted a video sharing African movies that I thought people should um should watch should watch to check out so yeah I think those are those are the ways that um Pan-Africanism is reflected in my daily life and also like going back to literature so I'm a student and um, last year I had the chance to study um Aimé Césaire um who is one of the pioneers of the Negritude um, movement in Francophone literature. Um, and I really enjoy that. I'm really happy to hear that. So let's let's just dive into your work. I know you kind of mentioned it a little bit before, but can you tell us a little bit more about Period Link, what it is, why you started it, what's going on right now, and how people can help and how that links to pan-Africanism and that um, that way of life and that ideology mm, yes yes um so Paralink is a youth organization and we basically work work with communities to provide sustainable menstrual products for school girls so statistics show that one in ten girls will miss school um when they're on their period and that is awful because that this is in um, sub-Saharan Africa. And that is awful because there are already a number of systemic barriers that prevent girls from accessing education. So whether there is like child marriage or some tribes where girls just don't go to school. And so for the ones that do get to go, to have menstruation be an additional barrier for them is um, extremely unfair. And so that is the work that Redlink does. Um, we work with communities to improve access to education for girls. And this is important 
just in general, like even outside of um, African communities or just in general, girls' education is really important because a girl dropping out of school, unfortunately, unfortunately, leads the chain of reactions. So that is like unwanted pregnancies, STDs, um, and then, you know, more likely a girl that has dropped out of school is also more likely to end up in an abusive um, relationship because she's not able to take care of herself financially and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that that is basically in a nutshell what Paradling does. And our next project is actually based in Northern Ghana. We have mostly worked in Ghana so far. Mm-hmm. So in 2019, we visited a few schools, had workshops with school girls about menstrual health management. And our next project is in Northern Ghana. We have raised um, some funds to build water boreholes for the community of Kurugu. So the community of Kurugu is a community of farmers, but unfortunately they've been struggling a lot because they are at the, for- at the forefront of the climate crisis. And due to drought and lack of access to water, um, they're not able to grow their crops. So there's a lot of famine and poverty. And um, a lot of school girls often have to miss school and travel miles to fetch water. And families can't afford menstrual products for their, for their girls. And so um, I'm really excited about that. We're really excited. Um, the works, um, construction works have started. And um, so, yeah, if you'd like to support that, uh, you can go on Prairie website. So that is just prairielink.com or on our Instagram page. Um, there's a link to the fundraiser um, where you can support or share our work. Um, and coming back to the second part of your question, how this is um, important for Pan-Africanism, um, I think we are we have chosen to work in in Ghana one because the the problem is very prevalent there, um, but also because women, unfortunately, before colonization. Um, women played an important part in daily life in Africa, mm-hmm. African economies. Um, mm-hmm. There is this book by this Ghanaian economist called um, George Aite, it's called Defeating Dictators, where he talks extensively about the importance that women played in African economy um, and still continue to play, in fact. Um, however, with European um, systems and you know ideologies, they came and created um, brought their own form of misogyny mm-hmm. and, and you know that has been um, we have been subjected to that and so working towards women finding back um, finding their voices back finding their emancipation again um, is is important to is important to the African pan-African struggle because um, women have lost their place. Women have lost their voice in society um, in African countries, partly um, because of colonialism. No, definitely. I think I think that's a very very important thing to emphasize, and I'm really happy that you spoke on that. Um, in regard to like what you're doing with Period Link, I just want to say like that is amazing um what you're doing um 
at period link is so so important um even the reasons that you stated and you know mentioning about um the effects of not having access to education or you know having to leave education and all these barriers like it's just so crucial and I think in general like the part about you know educating people about it and Mm -hmm. I assume also breaking stigmas is so so important I've been kind of talking to some of my friends recently about you know like just periods in general um and there's like a huge stigma around it like in just in society in general like it's just viewed as something that's just like super disgusting like no one wants to talk about really Mm. taboo you know to the point where a lot of people aren't educated on what actually happens and what it is and how and why and all these things and it's just a normal bodily function you know yeah just in like any other normal bodily function literally exactly exactly and I just like it just baffles me a little bit how little knowledge there is like Mm. for the most part about it across the board so that's like that's super important what you're doing thank you and I think like just now that you are speaking um one thing that came to mind um just going back to what I was talking about um in terms of how colonialism has sort of pushed women even you know further back is Mm. the fact that some of these ideas about women being dirty when they're on their period Mm. can be traced back to the bible to the old testament yep Um, yep and so, you know, these ideas were brought to us on the continent and um, I'm sure they would have definitely helped to reinforce um, taboos that might um, have already existed. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, 100%. I'm glad that you mentioned that um, because, like, colonisation and, like, you know, colonised Christianity, if that's what you want to call it, um, had a huge impact on our cultures and is altered and it's toyed with the authenticity of our original cultures you know um Mm. and that is that is something that's really hard to deal with as people um once you realize but yeah I'm really glad that you you mentioned that because it's it's very important that we see the links and you know understand where certain Mm. things come from and because that would just help us to get past these hurdles yeah but yeah which pan-african would you say has inspired you and why like this can be anyone yes um i love this question um i want to give a shout out to mr mbizi who was my maths teacher in year 11 i would say he was one of my first contacts um real life contacts with um uh, pan-african ideology so like i must have heard of it here and there mm-hmm. but he was one of the people that i knew directly who um exposed me even more to the idea mm-hmm. um, and the way this came about was the fact that he would never one day we must have asked him where he was from we knew he was african but mm-hmm. we asked him where he was from in africa and he wouldn't say it. he would just <laughs> African um and so one day I was like sir I need you to tell me why you wouldn't tell us the Mm. country you're from and he basically explained that he didn't believe in 
the countries basically mm. um and he explained pan-african ideology to me mm-hmm. um and so i'd like to give him a shout out <laughs> Um, but also another person that has influenced me a lot is Kemi Seba. He's um, an activist. He was born in France, but he now lives in the Republic of Benin, where his family is originally from. And he has done a lot of work around uh, African countries giving up the France CFA, which is the currency that I think 13 Africans, African countries still mm-hmm. use up to today. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason why his work is so important is because I feel like he doesn't he doesn't hold back from criticizing African countries where African leaders sorry um where need be because I feel like when we're talking about colonialism or pan-Africanism we we talk a lot about the impact that the West um or European colonizers have had on us but we don't talk enough about the way that, just like what you said before, our current president are being the gatekeepers of neocolonialism. Mm-hmm. And so I think I really appreciate his work because he always goes after those presidents who are clearly still collaborating with countries like France um, to oppress us. And the work of the France CFA, the currency, is also really important because we claim that we have independence. These countries are meant to be independent, but <laughs> how can you be an independent country when your currency is literally being printed in France and distributed to you? Mm. It doesn't make sense. It sounds just ridiculous. You don't have economic autonomy. And so, yeah, I really admire the work that he does. He's a great speaker. And um, yeah, he's really definitely influenced me a lot and he's also a man who has sacrificed a lot of himself Mm -hmm. for the cause so he was deported from Senegal he was banned from Togo and Guinea yeah yeah he he's been to prison a couple of times um and yeah wow that is that's actually so interesting um it's just crazy how how much we have to go through just you know Mm -hmm for the sake of our humanity um and I really I really like the fact that you mentioned independence because one thing that I've noted in most recent years is the idea of independence is so weird like I find that independence days have become very fickle to me like as a child it was like oh, it's Independence Day, like, this is significant. Um, mm. But as I grew older and I acquired more knowledge, I was like, independence from who? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't lie, you're not really much different to the colonizers, let's be honest. You're doing their work for them. You know, it's a black face, but what's really what's really happening is not really reflecting that of someone that is perceived to be my sibling, you know, a family member, someone like me, someone that looks like me, you don't behave like you're trying to advance the people, our people. And that is, that is very, very worrying that, and it just, it's just, it just seems like such a huge facade that it's like, 
you know, Independence Day, it's like, oh my God, like, is this Independence Day? Da, 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 da. Like, you know, this is a whole conversation for, for a completely other day, you know, <laughs> about independence as a whole and as a concept. It's a completely different mm. thing. So I won't talk too much on it. But yeah, I, I do... I do like the fact that you mentioned it and the fact that you mentioned currency. Um, mm-hmm. Let's not even go into the fact that France is collecting debt from so many Francophone countries um, across the continent. That is uh, that is literally a, com- a whole conversation in itself. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, can, do you think we can unite the, the, di- the diaspora under Pan-African ideals and how do you think we could make it appeal to the younger generation? Mm. Yes, um, yes, I do think we can unite the diaspora under under Pan-African ideals. And I think that goes back to the point we were making earlier about um, the ideology being adaptable and mm-hmm. um, giving enough room and space for Africans, either in Africa or in the diaspora, to be able to adapted to their own realities mm-hmm. and in terms of making it more appealing to the younger generation I think there are many artists who share pan-african ideals so like I don't know people like Burner Boy for example and I think or even like less you know renowned artists um, in our local communities who share pan-african ideals um, I think it would be useful to get these artists to be more vocal about it because mm-hmm. music or our form in general is one of the most influential powers, if you will, um, in the lives of young people. So seeing the people that the artists that they admire talk about the importance of Pan-Africanism or the, the reasons why they subscribe to it, I think would go a long way in encouraging these young people to start thinking about it themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, most, most definitely. Um... I think that is like I, I think if if we even look back, there's quite a few artists that made it their priority to highlight so many issues in their art forms. So for example, mm-hmm. there's so many authors, um, there's so many musicians that, you know, made it their mission to talk about our plight and and our history and all the things that we've went through. And mm. that is another way of preserving our culture from the lens of us, you know, and not our story being told to us, you know, because it's like, how can someone else come and tell you about something that you've lived? I think that's something that's very ridiculous. Um, mm. But yeah, just to just to wrap up, last and final question, to live without Pan-Africanism means... Mm a betrayal to our ancestors and the African martyrs who have shed their blood in the hope for freedom for Africans. 